0: what is your guys' strategy when one person in your family gets sick? Like, how do you, are Are you just like, all right, we're, we're all like coughing on each other. It's all going to happen. Are you like, all right, uh, Mary and I are sleeping in separate beds or we're like just anything so that our children don't get sick. I keep Luke away. I mean, what, what, how do you manage that?
1: Yeah, we should have a strategy because it's the worst. I feel like, once someone gets sick, it's. I've just accepted that we're all gonna get sick. So we don't have a strategy. I did in the early days of my marriage. There was one time when Mary got sick and she went to like kiss goodnight and I kind of pulled back, which was a huge mistake. I guess it caused a huge argument. And she had a good point. Like I wasn't consistent about it. I think I might have like eaten from her bowl or something. But then I <laughs> would guess <kiss> her. So <laughs> you know, to her to her credit, um, she was in the right. I should be consistent. So since that moment, um, we, I haven't tried any kind of any kind of control. What about you guys? Do you like do a quarantine or something?
0: <laughs> uh, so I think our whole strategy is whoever one, whichever one of us is sick is like. Basically the advantage is you get a free pass from parenting the entire time. Oh yeah. So like the other person is like, it's like, I'm sick, but I'm kind of happy about it because now I'm just taking a hot bath for three hours a day (laughs) and like, and watching Netflix while you like trying to let the house run on fire and like take care of all the kids by yourself. And so we don't do like a full quarantine, but like I'm deaf, we're definitely not kissing each other. Um, or like we're trying to give each other a little bit of space. I mean, Christina won't even kiss me, and I've got allergies. So we, we're really conservative when it comes to this, because there's nothing worse in the world than your children getting sick. I think I'd rather have leprosy than my children get sick again.
1: Okay, I wanted to touch on some fall, some follow up items from previous episodes. <laughs> so I just want to get it out there that you instructed people not to donate blood. <laughs> Okay. can we just enjoy that (laughs) on
0: its face value? I admit this looks uh, (laughs) not great. (laughs) However, I will defend this. So I I am a lifelong. I've donated blood, moved to Texas, love the state of Texas, move out there and I donate blood to Texas. And all of a sudden I'm getting phone calls like once a week from like. Six hundred different numbers, because every time I get a, a phone call from an unrecognized number, and it's a telemarketer, I instantly block that number from ever calling me again. But they keep calling me, and not only do they call me about donating blood once a week, there, there, these robocalls are like of like seven-year-old girls, like guilt tripping me and shaming me into donating blood. They're like, you don't want to save my life by <laughs> just spending forty-five minutes of your time donating a little bit of blood. And I'm like, oh my gosh, now I'm getting harassed with all these robocalls, that, all these different numbers, and they're guilt-tripping me with children.
1: It must be so hard having tons of blood, Chris. So hard. <laughs> all right, I have a follow-up. Okay. So,
0: you remember I was talking about a couple you know, weeks ago, we talked about how I'm like anti-seat belts, car seats, like we're too safe with all this stuff.
1: Another controversial opinion, yeah. <laughs> yes. Did you see this story about TSA? No, I didn't.
0: So TSA does the secret shopper thing and it turns out that they failed the secret shopper tests about 80% of the time nationwide. So people trying to sneak in low-level explosives, knives, weapons of some kind, you know, liquids not supposed to bring in, 80% of the time they're getting through TSA. So
1: they're and not then, safe enough is what you're saying. They should, <laughs> oh, yeah. they should be more strict. Yeah, I need to do a full colorectal exam every <laughs> time I go.
0: No, I'm and, and then the crazy part is they said that three years earlier they were feeling ninety-five percent of the time. Wow and that this was an improvement. I mean the terrorists must be like licking their chops, going, Oh, this is this is fantastic. And meantime, I don't feel any safer and I'm still getting, you know, All sorts of weird checks every time I go through flying. I remember a couple years ago, I had to renew my license. They gave me a temporary license, and the temporary license is a piece of paper. Well, that doesn't count for TSA. So basically what that meant was for my trip both ways, I had to have them check every single item in my luggage, and I had to go through a full-body pat-down like behind closed doors both ways just because I had a paper license.
1: When they're patting you down, where do you look? <laughs> like, where do you, where do you put your eyes? Like, oh, you're looking straight, straight ahead. Or oh, right yeah. at them as they do it. <laughs> and
0: I feel like if you make any sort of facial expression, I'm giving them some sort of sense of satisfaction. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I made you uncomfortable there. Like, so <laughs> I'm just like keeping a straight face. But it is weird.
1: Oh, man. So this, this makes you dig in deeper to your policy around um, no safety measures.
0: Not none, but we should cut them back. See, I, I mean, TS- <laughs> TSA is the first one I would cut.
1: I heard something interesting. I can't think of the source. It was on some podcast where they were talking about all the safety regulations and how f- how fewer people die from the fifties. Because I remember you're talking like back in the day, back in the fifties, like things were better. They didn't have seatbelts, <laughs> and, and I, this podcast was like. Yeah, like, people died so so often in the 50s because they didn't have these basic safety regulations. <laughs> so, that oh, man, I wonder what Chris would say to this. <laughs> I don't
0: know how good the data collection was in the 50s.
1: <laughs> Another follow-up was um, in our, I think it was our first episode, which was, like, months ago, because <laughs> we've taken a little while, but we talked about um, overrated things, and I mentioned the word millennial was overrated. And then last episode, I realized that we had a pretty long discussion around millennials, and I'm just a huge hypocrite. So there you go.
0: I guess that's true. The only <laughs> thing to make me worse hypocrite is if I was working for TSA in a couple of years. <laughs> um, so you you mentioned that you wanted to follow up on millennial language. Uh, is there any you know catchphrases or any uh, you know things you're seeing in social media millennials are using that you wanted to specifically follow up on?
1: Um, I heard something on another podcast that was talking about the language that we use. And a lot of times the phrases and different things like that we use is to identify us in a group, right? So certain groups will have their lingo and, and it's basically used as like an identifier. I thought that was kind of interesting with our, with our top talk about that, like, Maybe we're not supposed to be a millennial. You know, is millennial this like you were born between these time periods or is it you're in this like exclusive group of people that meet this criteria that have this language? Like, do you really think you're a millennial, Chris?
0: I don't really know because I don't really feel like I identify as a millennial. Like a lot of my coworkers, I mean, all the people who report to me at the work and a lot of people who work with me in the office are millennials. And they the way they talk and say things, I'm like, I don't feel like I don't feel <laughs> like I relate with any of you guys. The other day, I was like, "Who remembers TJF?" Like, you know, "A Boy Meets World," "Sabrina the Teenage Witch," "Family Matters," and they're all looking at me like, "What? This is like watching Happy Days." What are you talking about? <laughs> I've never heard of any of this stuff. And then someone said the other day, like, I posted something on Twitter, and I never post anything on Twitter. And someone's like, "Oh, you just got ratioed." I'm like, "What does ratioed mean?" I had to look. Do you know what ratioed means? No, I don't. So I just learned this this week. Ratioed means on Twitter that there's way more comments on on your tweet than retweets, which is an indication that people like dislike or disagree with what you're saying more than they like it.
1: And I'm like smack dab in the millennial like age bracket, but I don't feel like one. I feel like the moment you have a kid, are you really a millennial anymore? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) What do you think? Yeah, that's
0: a good point. Yeah. When you start spending, you know, several hours a week watching Disney Junior, I don't know if you can continue to be uh, (laughs) a millennial.
1: I think I'm convinced that millennial, like I I recognize that it's just like you fall in between these two age categories and it's the general character characterizations. But I think it's morphed into something else. It's almost turned into like, uh, you know, people are calling people like emo or what's the what's the one I'm thinking of oh hipster that thing morphed into oh, yeah. something completely different like i don't even know what it was but it's not what it originally was and that's what i think millennial is i think it's more you meet like you meet these characteristics you speak this lingo and you're like one of these secret millennials cuz i'm yeah. definitely not a millennial
0: <laughs> yeah now hipster means you have a really long beard or you've got a man bun that's all it means now
1: i don't even know everyone <laughs> has a different it's like a, It's like a choose-your-own-adventure word. You can just throw it out and let people decide what they think it's going to mean. Yeah, uh, that's true. You want to talk about something that uh, <laughs> is uh, every parent's struggle and joy? Bedtime?
0: Yeah, well, first I want to mention this. Before you have kids, you think all parents are complete freaks about their children's nap times. So, you know, you'll have you'll have the oldest sibling come over and visit for the holidays or you're on vacation for family reunion or whatever and the first sibling has a child and they're like oh we, we can't eat lunch at 11 like that's joey's nap time you're like oh you're such a freak about joey's nap time like come on <laughs> let's just go to lunch like joey can sleep whenever and then you have kids and then you realize like the way that millennials are freaking out about twitter switching from 140 to 280 characters is how every parent freaks out about their children's nap times it's it's real it's a real problem and if your kid gets thrown off their nap time it's uh it's mount vesuvius it's code red and i'm just looking for you to back me up here and get your thoughts
1: you know you mentioned in one of the earlier podcasts about that and i thought you took it a little extreme but then i realized that luke hadn't skipped his nap time very many times in his life And he did a couple of times in a row after that. And it was really bad. (laughs) And I thought to myself, Chris was really right about this. Have
0: you ever ever had those friends who
1: like have their first child and the
0: child's like a month and a half old and they're like, gosh, this parenting thing, people really exaggerated it. (laughs) And they are like, your child is five weeks old and all he does is sleep all day long. Of course, parenting is (laughs) easy. All you're doing is sustaining life and it's mostly your wife.
1: Uh, yeah, I was thinking about that. And I feel like the longer I'm a parent, the more I realize like, yeah, this is really hard. <laughs> like this is not a sprint. This is a marathon and you are not even close to being done with this marathon. So <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of funny. I feel like I was probably that way. It's like, yeah, hey, this isn't that bad. So how do you balance that? Like, do you feel like you're um always do you feel like you complain a lot about being a parent or do you feel like it's pretty balanced of like the good and the bad I feel like some people I talk to they don't have anything positive to say and then other people they're not recognizing any of the real stuff happening so where do you where do you fall in that spectrum
0: in describing parenting
1: yeah so I think it
0: depends on the audience like like I've got some friends who are like I'm never having kids and for them, I always just lie and say it's nothing but roses and sunshine. Because <laughs> I don't want to be the person that like reinforces someone like never having a child. Like I don't want, I don't want to die. But, like, yeah, my buddies never had children because because of me. So, and also, I also want them to have them so they can, you know, join in my misery when, when bad things do happen. But uh, for, I think most of the time, I, I try to keep it 50 50, the positive and negative. Um, cause you know, being parents is the most fulfilling thing you'll ever do, but it is the hardest thing you'll ever do. Yeah. Like hands down.
1: What about you? Talking to like a lot of my friends that have kids, I feel like I fall in the middle between like, this is super easy. And like, this is like going to kill me.
0: Yeah, and that leads me to another question to you then, because I have some friends who, or or like cousins and stuff, who are like, gosh, they, they talk about parenting on social media, like it's eating, it's literally like eating all you can eat buffet of their favorite cake and pie. <laughs> and I come to, I go over to visit them, and the reason that parenting is so easy for them is their children live, their their TV is the parent, oh. and the iPad is the parent, and they literally spend like eight hours a day in front of a screen. And I'm like, yo, yeah, <laughs> Your parents would be really easy if they eat all of their meals in front of a TV and they wake up, and that's the first thing they do, and then right before they go to bed is they do that. So my question to you, Luke is two, so screen time, that must be a sensitive issue at the Bates home, so I'm wondering, how do you guys handle that?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not easy, and there are some heated opinions around this. I feel like on both sides of the spectrum, Um, we try and limit it, you know, as much as we can. So we use it as like, kind of like the nuclear bomb, right? When we really need to like make an impact, we'll pull out, pull out the screen time. We're not like, like vehemently opposed to it. Um, like I know some people feel very, very strongly about none at all. And that's, that's totally fine. And some people don't care at all. And that, that, I think that's fine. I don't know. Too much of the research behind it or, or what the impact will be? Yeah,
0: I think that's good. So we've got like, you know, a bunch of educational apps that teach them math and reading and you know, geometry and and reasoning skills. And creative creative apps and things like that. So we try to maximize those. And I love the PBS shows like Daniel Tiger because I feel like I'm a good parent when they watch them. <laughs> <laughs> like it teaches them how to manage their emotions, teaches them how to be polite, be respectful to, to their elders. Like so, I prefer those. But they grew out of those quick. Like I I try to sneak in a Daniel Tiger, and they very quickly will switch that to you know. <laughs> Uh, Princess Elena of Avalor. So <laughs> <laughs> they're like, what? what is this? Like, why are we learning about flushing the toilet? I want to know. Let's see what Elena's up to. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, we mainly use it when we travel. Like, it's a necessity when you travel. People, oh, yeah. parents who don't use the screen when they travel, I don't know how they do it. I think they have superpowers. I really think they do because you, I cannot travel without the iPad.
1: All right, so I have a topic that I wanted to bring up. There, So we know that there's shaming on social media, right? People get shamed all the time for, for doing things. But I feel like we're getting kind of out of control, and that's how people are handling a lot of their problems. And I don't think it's everyone. I think it's certain type of people um, are very sensitive about certain subjects. And so social media shaming is like their first go-to option of fixing the problem. And I think this is actually pretty unhealthy. Like, I don't think it's a great way to make change. And I don't think that it's a good way to resolve problems most of the time. I think, like, seeing, like, calling people out on social media is almost like a last resort. But I wanted to know your thoughts around this. Have you seen this? Do you think this is an issue? What are your thoughts about kind of the shaming on social media.
0: Yeah. So first we should differentiate the difference between guilt and shame. So guilting someone is making someone feel bad about what they did. Shaming someone is making someone feel bad for who they are. So I think that's, that's the starting point. And I think if, if you're saying stuff in a way that's making people truly feel shame, then you're, you're never going to, you're never going to reach your end goal, which is to prevent this behavior from happening in the future, which is to get people to agree to your side. You know, you're just going to make people dig in their heels because nobody wants to feel bad about who they are. It's just going to make them get defensive. So I would agree with you, and I think what's really bizarre is how I feel like we've become more conflict-avoidant in person and more conflict-seeking on social media as a society in whole. So it's almost like people are, like, hyper-aggressive and trying to start fights on social media. But the same exact people in the workplace, in their families, when they hear something they disagree with, they just – they don't say anything. They don't embrace it because they don't know how to uh, do a manage a real conflict. And I think that's an interesting byproduct of of everything you're talking about.
1: Yeah. How have you seen that? Have you seen specific stuff in your life or –
0: Yeah. Well, like, uh, you know, I I work in an office setting and I – for example, I know someone uh, I work with who – for end-of-year reviews, behind people's backs, this person I, I used to work with um, would say uh, all sorts of criticism about people that he worked with, all sorts. And then I ha- he did a couple of reviews for people who reported to me, pe- uh, individuals who needed some – they weren't bad employees, but they needed some corrective action on a couple of items for, for the next year. And the reviews he gave them were overwhelmingly positive. They are like A-pluses, five or tens across the board – And in my head, I'm like, I know you don't think these people are tens, and I need to help correct them. But if I'm the only person giving them these corrective actions and these critiques, and you're giving them stellar ratings, it's going to make me look like a tool. And so – and I know this person, same thing. On social media, no problem being – doing conflict. But at work, when it comes to evaluating people, everyone's a ten no matter what. And uh, it just kind of drives me nuts because I'm like, it should be the opposite. We should be more restrained in social media because we don't know people, we don't know s- circumstances, um, and you know words can be misinterpreted. And in person, we should be more willing to embrace conflict, healthy conflict, where we're you know I disagree with that. This is how we 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 don't come to the right conclusions if people are just yes men, and so it, it just feels like it's backwards.
1: Yeah well, I think you're actually extremely good at this. And it's something that I'm extremely bad at. (laughs) And I I think a lot of people do struggle with like, you know, any kind of um, critical feedback, right? Not not feedback that's like personal and ugly and mean, but just healthy like, you know, feedback that's going to help people change. It's something that I am always trying to, to work on to get better at and embracing that kind of conflict. But I feel like that's something that you do very well, actually. So
0: Um I'm going to go get my wife. I want you to repeat everything you just said.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure she's good at it too. And so, yeah, I don't know how that works out in your marriage, but <laughs> just no, healthy I mean, criticism back and forth.
0: <laughs> honey, Andrew and I talked about this in the podcast. You told me I'm really good at it and uh, that you should just listen. Um, no, I mean, I just think, uh, I just think when you keep things unsaid, then you're festering things and, and it's just gonna make things worse. And people ultimately wanna be better, but they gotta be approached the right way, which is why they should feel guilt, but not shame. And the shaming on Twitter, I, I don't have you ever seen someone shame someone on Twitter and like you know, just obliterate them and then the person they're obliterating just be like, Gosh, you've really made me three think my life choices And I'm really going to start changing in the ways that you're suggesting this. I mean, do you ever see
1: that ever happen? Yeah, it doesn't happen. And I think it's because of the way that they do it, right? They don't leave them that option to do it because they're so aggressive that they can't say, yeah, you're right, because they're so over the top that they're not going to come down to that level. And that's why I wonder when people are doing these types of things, like, do they really want to see change or are they just trying to signal to everyone that they're, right about something or they're better than people because they have this opinion. Like I just think that there's so many better ways to go about like solving these issues or or making change that I just I just genuinely wonder what their motives are. If they really do care about the change or is if it is it just a you know a personal um kind of pride thing, you know?
0: Yeah. And sometimes it feels like there's a race, too, to shame someone. Like if someone says something on on TV or whatever, I mean, there was a couple of weeks ago on Sunday Night Football, Al Michaels made an offhand remark that this team that was losing was having a worse week than Harvey Weinstein. And uh, he didn't mean anything by it. But of course, within seconds, everyone is rushing to slam him. And of course, you want to be sensitive to the issue around Harvey Weinstein because it's deplorable and disgusting. But I just couldn't believe – seriously, when someone does something, people are just racing. I want to be the first person to out someone and shame them on social media.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think – I mean every time I think about these things, the, the times that people – I guess I'm more likely to change my behavior if someone comes and talks to me. One on one, right, and it's not in front of a whole, you know, group of people. I just feel like you really want someone to change. <clears throat> you start off by talking to them directly, right? Because you're you're so much more likely to see that change versus calling them out in front of everyone. And and you might you might get an apology if you get enough people, but have you really like made a, a change in that person's life? Are they really going to change their behavior, or you just forced them? You just coerce them into this thing using your might, right? And and I guess that's fine if if you want to be like the thought police or whatever, but but you're not really changing people. You're not really like helping them. If you really believe that this is a better way, this is the right way, I don't think you're helping people by by basically forcing them to apologize. So I wanted to talk about haters and people mention their haters all the time and a lot of times it inspires them to become greater musicians or basketball players or whatever you know are you is that fair do you feel like people bring up haters a lot in in pop culture
0: yes i hear it mostly in sports and in music culture
1: yeah so my question is Are there, are there really hate? I mean, (laughs) are these real people or they, they latch on to, I I get it. Like there's some people who are going to oppose you or not like what you do, but I just feel like it's kind of made up a little bit to, (laughs) to fuel them or build up their image. Like, I feel like there should be a mathematical equation to determine whether you really have haters. Like if you're Taylor Swift and there's literally like hundreds of millions of people, not hundreds of millions, but millions of people that worship you to like a weird degree. Um, and then there's like a couple people that nay say, you know, are they really haters or (laughs) if I feel like your haters have to outnumber the people that worship you and then anyone over that number, those are your real haters. (laughs) I don't know. I just think it's I think they overstated it. Like, oh, no one believed I could do this. Like, no, there are millions of people who believed you could do this. There were like four who didn't.
0: Right. Or
1: like the sports team that's like
0: nine and one, and the coach is like, "All these haters out there, nobody believes in you." It's like you guys are nine and one. What are you talking about?
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel like the haters have to outnumber the lovers, and then those are the real haters. You know, like yeah, yeah,
0: I, I think. <laughs> I think it's true. I think the ratio matters, although then you've got some people who are really polarizing like Kanye West. I think Kanye West has legit haters out there, and yet his approval rating is still ridiculously high. And I still think he can legitimately say he's got haters, and he's brought some of that on himself, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's – I've talked to a few people um, just personally, and they've talked about – you know, no, one, no one believed in me or no one thought I could do this or everyone was against me. And I just thought, man, people don't care that much about you, Like, not yeah. to be mean or anything, but like mainly people are just concerned about themselves. Like maybe someone said, no, that's not going to happen. And then they moved on with their life. But I think it's funny when people think that other people's sole like mission is to work against them when really like They couldn't care less. (laughs) They're people just mainly care about themselves. They're not too interested whether you succeed or fail. But other people kind of use like one. No, it's true.
0: (laughs) Well, and you always hear that at the like the the Oscar speech or like the 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 one the national championship game, like. They said I could never be a pro and I would never I would never make it to the NFL. Here I am. Like, just once I want to hear someone, like, win a Grammy or something and be like, yeah, this is kind of where I expect it to be. Like, <laughs> it was actually pretty easy
1: if we talk about it. Like, I, I just
0: kind of, you know, practiced for a while and I'm kind of a bad A. So, thanks. But, uh, I you know, I expect it to be here.
1: Yeah. Uh, I peace. imagine in those, like, speeches there's, like, an asterisk next to they and it says, like, one – one high school coach in like five (laughs) years ago (laughs) there's like because people latch on to the negative you know they you could have like hundreds of people say how how great you are but there's like three people that disagree and then like suddenly you have haters right and there's all these people against you it's like no no you're misinterpreting reality like (laughs) no it's true and I feel like if we research
0: these, we find out like this teacher said I would never make it was like one time sub because you were being really unruly in class <laughs> said you're never going to amount to anything because he was really pissed <laughs> off at you and the kids that were making fun of him in class. And, the, and you're like, that's your story. But who yeah. Knows?
1: anyways, yeah, I wanted to talk about haters. I think that's interesting. Um, I'm sure we'll have haters of this podcast and we'll we'll use them to launch us to greater heights. No doubt. As long
0: as we're not ratioed, I'm OK. <laughs>